Jeff, I think that was one of the most boring 14-point victories I have ever witnessed. Yeah, that was uh, – boy, that was something else, wasn't it? It, it, I, I tweeted a, tweeted this out, and I think that this is accurate. I compared this game, really specifically talking about the defense, but the whole game, really. It's like watching a wing T offense in high school, right? It's not fun. It's not sexy. At the end of the day, you feel pretty crappy about it, even if you do win but it was effective and he went home with a win. And I guess that's the point. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's just weird because I mean, it was kind of a back and forth game a little bit. Right. I mean, we blanked him for three quarters of the game and obviously it was 28, 14 is kind of right in that wheelhouse. Like, you know, 35, 14, that's a solid game. You controlled the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it felt, I mean, it felt weird just mostly because they were, kind of they had their way with the defensive line and for the second straight week the defensive line just really struggled and they did I mean the difference tonight was the offense showed up and continued to put up in the second half and um, you know they kind of took over and they had drives of their own and that was the difference between this week and last week but ultimately I mean it was still you know the biggest weakness of the game was the defensive line and just not being able to control the line of scrimmage on that front which isn't something that's new to the season. That's something that's been a problem, you know, as we've looked the amount of havoc and we've talked about this on CSI. We've talked about this earlier in our off season previews. And we we're talking about the show or on the show of just, you know, being able to get pressure and create havoc, you know, where we're having like sacks tackles for loss, getting into the backfield of really controlling the line of scrimmage is something that the defensive line has struggled with for the last few seasons. And maybe it turns a corner with, hopefully John Henry Daly coming on board and Logan Fano at, you know, that's still after a mission. And we kind of thought that, you know, we thought Uriah Leotel was going to be that guy. And then he got hurt. We thought, you know, Tyler Batty was going to be that guy. He's been hurt. We thought Longy Tui Fool was going to be that guy. And he broke his neck and had to retire. And now he's starring in Lifetime movies. And what an awesome career ascension for that guy. I know. Good for him. I mean, like, think about this though. No, we got to talk about this because we haven't talked about it yet and we should. Okay. So the dude was good enough to be a college football player at a lot of different schools. Like let's not forget how big of a recruit Longy Tuatua was, right? Like was committed to Oregon at one point, like could have gone to Utah, could have gone to Michigan. He could have gone to a number of different schools. He was really, really good. Uh, football ends because of, you know, his, his injuries, whatever stuff that's kind of out of his control. So the guy pivots and now he's acting in movies. Like I get it. It's a Hallmark movie. It's not like he's going to win an Academy award or anything like that, but none of us are acting in Hallmark movies. The guy's also like a genius. Um, I don't know what his GPA is now, but like the dude's super, super smart. You know, some people just have it all. And I'm not one of those people. Like I have, I don't know, man. Like I really have the, just the smallest degree of talent. And I have to work to the bone to just magnify that little tiny trace of talent that I have to do anything. But then there's dudes like Longi Tuifua that whether it's football, whether it's acting, whether it's just academics, they do it all at a high level and it seemingly comes super easy to them and I envy those people. So credit to you, Longi Tuifua, for being everything that 
I wish I could be. And that really is just to say successful, not an actor. Jeff, we are successful in our own way. We just will never be that successful. Yeah, that's true. Um, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, we started the show, and I was just putting the final, uh, the final touches on my game recap. And I really want to gauge my pettiness scale. I'm going to read... I'm going to read the first few paragraphs and on a scale of one to seven, I want you to tell me how petty I was. And if it was too petty for what is a reputable website in 24 seven sports. All right, here we go. So it starts. Let's start this recap by recapping some comments that were made by San Diego state student newspaper earlier this week, ahead of the BYU versus San Diego state game tonight. And then here's the quote. The BYU Cougars are not a bad football team. They're actually pretty good. But this would have never been, but they would have never been in the top 25 in a quote regular season. The Cougars schedule was, for lack of a better term, soft. With no Power Five conference opponents, BYU was hesitant to fill their schedule with any worthy competition. When they finally did play against another ranked team, they may have competed for all four quarters, but they lost fair and square. San Diego State travels to Provo, Utah this weekend to face the Cougars in both teams' last game of the regular season. Coming off a loss, the Cougars could come out with a chip on their shoulder, but despite their ranking, the Cougars showed their limitations against Coastal Carolina last week. Expect Brady Hoke and the Aztecs to exploit one of, if not the, most overrated teams in college football and come out of Utah with the upset win. After reading that, there is but one glaring question that must be asked. If BYU is the most overrated team in college football, what do you call the team who loses by, to them by two touchdowns? We sure don't know that answer, the answer to that question, but San Diego State Aztec fans are about to find out. Now, that is not too petty because San Diego State is the worst. Like They suck. Man. We can make fun of Wyoming. We can talk about Utah State, but San Diego State is the worst, and I think my hatred of them is completely driven by the show's Twitter account. Like That is the worst Twitter account associated with anything within the realm of college sports. Oh, they're it bad. Is obnoxious. Like tonight, they're, they're going off about how BYU is too scared to play them in regular weather. Like, dude, you're the one who's part of a conference that decided to quit playing the season, and it was you were supposed to have a home game in regular weather, but you're playing in the middle of December because y'all decided to tap out. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it really is that simple, and I don't know. It, it feels a little petty, but it feels appropriately petty to me. And it's, you know, it's midnight, man. Like, I'm tired. It feels like my pettiness is maybe a little bit high. I don't know, but it felt appropriate. So that was, that's the introduction to my recap. I really didn't get into the, the actual game itself. It was mostly a recap of the pettiness that I was feeling. So, so there's that. And that's really kind of the mood I'm in as we talk about this game. Uh, look, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't particularly fun. Zach Wilson's fun. Like he's really, really fun. Isaac Rex is fun. I'm yeah, ready. So is, I'm calling Dax Mill. He's I'm, fun. 
I am calling dibs on. I'm gonna give Isaac Rex my offensive player of the game because we said no, no more Zach Wilson because we know what we're getting. But I mean, Isaac Rex, he had the fumble, but he finished five catches, 47 yards, two touchdowns. Did great blocking. He made a great. Well, I mean, he had one pretty easy catch, but then that diving touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. He has ten receiving touchdowns on the year now, the most since Johnny Harlan, or the most by a tight end since Johnny Harlan had twelve in two thousand six. And I mean, I'm ready to. We've said it before, and I'm ready to come out and publicly say it again that I think Isaac Rex right now is better than Matt Bushman. And I, I do too. He, he has a bigger frame. I I don't know how fast Matt Bushman is because he always looks slow no matter how hard he's running. So I'm very curious to see what number he puts up at his pro day for that one. But he, I mean, he's fast enough. He has a big body. He's got more, he's got more range. Like Matt Bushman had the hands, but Isaac Rex has the range and will get up over people. And just in ways that Matt Bushman, just his, you know, body type did really lend itself to that. And, you know, Bush Rex being a true freshman, or I guess registered freshman coming off his mission and, you know, being just barely getting his toes wet with things. But I mean, to be fair, Matt Bushman did have to play for a season and a half with Tanner Bingham. So that also kind of holds him back a little bit, but. And, uh, and under Ty Detmer, like what's not. Yeah. So half his career under Ty Detmer is, is a big struggle or I guess only one season, but the, um, so it's, you know, I, I'm I'm ready to say it though. I've said it and I'm ready to recommit to that tonight in this public forum mm-hmm. that Isaac Rex will be an NFL tight end. And he and by NFL, obviously a lot of things can change. And you know, I'm saying that he will get an NFL shot, right? Like it's he will get a chance to make an NFL roster. I'm not saying he's gonna play in the league for 10 years and go to a Pro Bowl. Um, but he I think he is every bit as good and there is zero drop off from what there would be at the tight end position if Matt Bushman was healthy. Uh yeah, I agree. I I think that uh I don't know, man. I really think that I think you're right. I think that Rex is potentially pushing for the starting position even if um even if Matt Bushman is healthy. Like I right. I think even, he's that good. Even coming after Bushman's freshman season coming into 2014 or coming out of 20, I don't even know why 2014 just came out of my head. I don't know, man. It's late. But it's 20 as you're cracking open the Mountain Dew. I am, dude. I got I to gotta stay awake somehow. Oh. And so, yes, this is what we do for our listeners. I am about to, it is 1142. I'm old. I'm fat. I have children. And here I am about to pound down a Diet Mountain Dew just so that I can have just enough energy to stay awake for you guys. I don't know if we get enough appreciation for what we do for our listeners. I mean, we, we really don't get enough because this is, I mean, I'll be honest. One of the last things I wanted to do at 1130 at night after that game was record a podcast, edit it, we got a couple of voicemails to splice in. Like this is very much a labor of love that we are doing for the fans because we love you. Um, but anyway, and out of 2017, you know, Bushman was great in the spring. Everyone was like, wow, this kid's back off his mission. He's incredible. It's going to be awesome. He was the leading receiver through that abysmal season. People forget that it, going into the 2018 opener in Tucson against Arizona, Dallin Holker was listed as an or with Matt Bushman on the depth chart that game. 
right? Like Bushman was pushed in his sophomore season for playing time and was pushed for that start. I mean, he still ended up separating himself and was still the guy at tight end, but it was a lot closer than I think the staff would have liked it to been have been. Yeah. I also think people forget how just damn good Dallin Holker is. And Dallin Holker next year. I mean, you're looking at Dallin Holker, Isaac Rex, and a finally fully healthy Hank Tuipolotu. Those are three really athletic tight ends who all have slightly different builds and different things that they bring to the table, but all three of them are very athletic and can catch the football. You know what I'm really excited about with, uh, with, with Holker is that he plays kind of that H back role, right? Like he plays that, um, that role that Mason wake plays right now. Right. And I like Mason wake. We all like Mason wake. The hurdles are great. Like he's trucked a couple of dudes. Like he's, he's great. He's great. Dallin Holker is, you know, five times the player that Mason wake is. And that is in no way a slight at Mason wake. Like the dude can play. Dallin Holker is next level. He is Sunday good. And uh, you put him as an H back and Isaac Rex as an inline tight end, or even, you know, if he flexes out into the Y or whatever, uh, that's a really, really, really exciting duo there with those two. It really is. Um, I just want to point out on our pre uh, that in our predictions for this, we, you and I both said BYU 28, San Diego State 10. If we hadn't turned the ball over on the 20 yard line, a good chance that drives bitters out and they end up kicking a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown there. And then we're well, it was the fake field goal. Let's lest we forget it was that's 28. True. And then a fake field goal that BYU was even preparing. Like they were in their field goal safe, uh safe setup, but they um oh wait, I'm just well, okay, they, they didn't play the run. I'm watching the bowl game scenarios, the New Year's six bowl game scenarios on the whatever was on ESPN two. Okay, we need to talk about ESPN's. 50 50s chance of usc making it to the playoff <laughs> uh dude they're they're so off but here's my question for you well i think i know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask it anyways let's say that louisiana beats coastal on saturday and let's say that tulsa takes it to cincinnati pretty good I know BYU can't get the G5 spot. But if that is the scenario that plays out, how high can BYU get? Can they possibly sneak their way back in to the New Year's Six? I mean, if we can somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and get another game for next Saturday and lay the wood to somebody, then maybe... Because there was enough chaos today. It really depends on where things shake up in front of us this week and then what else happens, right? Like, because it's probably need Iowa State to beat Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You know, some other, you know, needs some other help. Well, that game's a wash, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Iowa State, Oklahoma. Yeah, you probably do want Iowa State to win uh, just because Oklahoma is ranked 11. And so theoretically they drop below like lower than Iowa yeah, state. Right. I think if Oklahoma beats Iowa state though, Iowa state just mo- drops to like 
12 or 13. See, sure. Oklahoma. Yeah. So I you mean, need, you need either a butt whooping or some, or Iowa state to pull that one yeah. out and knock we Oklahoma need, below us. You need Ohio state to just pound Northwestern. Uh, Notre Dame Clemson is a wash Florida. Who knows how far Florida drops like that, that LSU team that, yeah, it was a close game last second field goal, but that LSU team sucks, right? Like they're, they're a mess. So does Florida drop from six to nine or do they drop from like six to 12 and then behind, you know, behind the, the, that, that mid teens range, like the teams who are immediately ahead of BYU, there was uh there was some some shake up there wasn't there this week yeah this well week? I mean North Miami Carolina's got killed by North Carolina so they're gonna move up so it just depends on do they move Miami behind BYU or just in front of BYU yeah okay and I guess everything else largely stayed the same didn't it USC I mean, should have lost but UCLA sucked at the end. Iowa, Iowa won, didn't they? they Watching won. to see what they do, the committee does with USC will actually be interesting, interesting to see if they actually do watch the games. Because there's no way if they watched that game and actually reviewed it that they, if they move USC up to like, you know, Northwestern loses, Oklahoma loses, or I guess that's next week, but like Miami, they're going to drop Miami, drop Florida you know, all these other things, if they look at USC and be like, oh yeah, we should move them up two spots into like 13th based mm-hmm. on how they played against UCLA. Like, no, they should drop with how they no played way. Like Gary Barta is 150 years old. That game finished at like, um, I mean, it finished probably at 1030 our time. So if like it, 1130, If the game kicks off after the Sizzler happy hour closes. Right. No chance. It ain't, it ain't getting watched by Mr. Barta. There is no chance. Like there would have to be a pill that keeps him artificially awake. Uh, I know that this this is a post game show that we're just rambling. Like guys, this game sucked. It wasn't really fun, and there's not a whole lot to talk about. And the whole thing is, I don't understand why San Diego State they had two fourth down stops where they tried to pass the ball after they ran the ball the entire drive. And it's the defensive line. I mean, I think we talked about like scheme. Right. I don't have a problem with the scheme. Guys were in positions to make plays, but guys weren't tackling and the defensive line wasn't getting a push. You know, once San Diego State was very apparent, obviously, that they were going to be set on running the ball. We still we brought other guys up to the line of scrimmage. We brought an extra line like we stacked the box a little bit while still respecting their receiver some and still got blown off the ball and for the occasional plays and so it's like i feel like guys were in position but it's just poor tackling and just like i feel like our defensive line is just like there's zero mean streak it's like not nasty like kairos tonga where are you like you show up occasionally and it's like you blow through the backfield and push some kid but it's like you got a bull rush and that's your one move and you pull it out three times a game and then i forget you're on the field for the rest of it it's it's something uh and this is this is what i was gonna say i i really don't mind the philosophy like the idea of the scheme so like the philosophy of the scheme of i'm gonna trust my guys to just beat the guy in front of them right like bronco we we talked about it all the time with bronco and this is a comparison or whatever but because he said it like we talked about it all the time with bronco that he was really good at scheming for the talent that he had. Like he put together a defense that covered up the weaknesses in the secondary that they were able to get really, really good linebackers. And they were able to use them to do just about everything. Right. So 
that was like Broncos calling cards that he could develop a scheme to work around the talent or the lack thereof that, that, that was on his roster. Now with Tuiaki, I'd like the mindset of no, like we're just going to, our guys are going to be better. Like we're going to line up from you one V one and we're going to win. I think that's a great philosophy. Like that's a lot of what Kyle Whittingham does at Utah, right? Like he, he just says, Hey, defensive linemen, my defensive linemen are better than any offensive line that you're going to have. We're going to win. And then he'll, he'll bring linebackers and corners on blitzes and stuff, but it's all predicated upon the defensive line winning their one versus one assignments. I don't mind the philosophy from Tuiaki. I here's here is my struggle and it's becoming harder and harder for me to like suppress. I don't like that philosophy when his recruiting philosophy is tied with that. He's not out there chasing the four or five star guys, right? Like the most talented defensive tackles. This class, like there's if John Henry Daly commits, he and Logan Fano and Enoka uh, Enoka Miguel make up the best defensive end class that BYU's had in a really, really long time. This is his sixth recruiting class, though. And it's taken that long to get those three guys. Outside of that, Tyler Batty was a good pass rusher. You know, Longi Tuifu, we talked about him. He was supposed to be the truth. That's really it. That That's really the only recruits that he's brought in that have been like those stud pass rushers. And, and then as far as inside, he brought in Tonga. Tonga's great. You know, like you, you talked about it. He's up and down or whatever. But by and large, he's fine. Uh, Fevaliaki, Lorenzo Fawatea, like they're good. Tofa hasn't progressed. Alden Tofa, like, like fans want him to. But by and large, outside of that first class, which is when he brought in a lot of those recruits, he hasn't brought in anybody who is going to just beat their guy. And so his recruiting philosophy does not work with what is proving to be his game to game philosophy, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing. I don't know. Does he need to change the game philosophy? Does he need to go and recruit better talent? I don't, I don't know what it is, but guys like I, I like Zach Daw. I like Bracken L Bakery. You know, I like, Gabe Summers, I like Tuioti Mariner, I like those players just fine, but if those are your studs and you're going to rely on them to win one-on-one assignments all the time, you're setting yourself up to fail. Like They're just not that guy. They're not that kind of player. I think Tonga, um, you brought it up, a lot of fans have asked that question of, of Tonga just disappears. And I think that the biggest thing that prevents Tonga from being great on every play is that that is he's the only defensive lineman that the offensive line really takes seriously. Like I say that with as much respect as I can, but I think that opposing offensive lines, they look at Dodd, they look at El Bakri, they look at Summers, they look at a, a hobbled, um, a hobbled Leotawa, they look at Tofa and they think, yeah, we'll just stick one guy on him. We got it. And then they key on Tonga. Like, that's the only guy that they're scheming for. And, and I think that's the biggest problem. You look at Utah, and we, we make the comparison because that's where Kalani and Tuiaki came from. You look at Utah, the biggest difference is that they have multiple defensive linemen that can make a play. It's not, you know, it wasn't Starlo to Lale on every single snap that was blowing everything up. 
Starlow to Nile had Nate Orchard to one side of him and Hunter Dimmick to the other. Like he had the ability to take plays off. Like he he wasn't always the focal point. And and Whittingham and that defense, Sataki at the time, they were able to work one-on-one matchups for Starlow to Lale. And that is why he was so great. Tonga never gets a one-on-one assignment because there isn't anybody else along that defensive line that merits the full attention of an offensive coordinator, of an offensive line coach. And I think that's the biggest problem. And to me at this point, right, five years now into this scheme, it's on Tuiaki in the sense that he has not brought in the talent that matches that philosophy. I think philosophically it's fine, but the reason it's not fine is because he doesn't have the talent to do that at BYU. And if you can't bring that talent in within the first five years, then what what are we doing here? So I think what you're saying is the, if I could reiterate that Tuyaki, the defensive coordinator, we got set. We have to separate to the defensive coordinator role from the defensive line coach role. Uh-huh. And the issue is with the defensive line coach role of, cause that's who, I mean, if you're the defensive line coach, you're in charge of your bodies. You're in charge of who's getting offers from, you know, how many scholarships you have allotted to you and who you're offering, extending them to and coaching them up every day in practice. And, the player development of that specific position group. That's the issue or the bigger issue in your eyes, not the, the scheme I, itself I is so. whatever. Like guys are in position to make plays. They're not making them like guys aren't winning one-on-one battles when they need to. I, I think so. You look at that Houston game. Cause everybody will point to that Houston game and say, well, look at how much different it was in the second half. The play calls were the same. You know, the scheme was the same, The guys are just winning and you know, they found that extra motor or whatever. And they went out and they won. That's great but they're not doing that on every play, on every drive, in every game. And I think that's the biggest problem. And I just look at, and I don't know, right? Like, it, it, that's what makes it tough. That's why I say it's a chicken or the egg thing. Because is the problem, okay, you got to go recruit more talent to fit that scheme, or is the problem, okay, dude, clearly you're not getting the talent that you need to run this scheme, so why are you not adjusting your scheme? Both arguments are valid, and I don't know what the answer is. I'm a recruiting guy and I tend to think that talent masks everything else. And I look at just this year's class and there are several good LDS defensive linemen that have just not been pursued by Tuiaki and by the BYU recruiting efforts. And I, I have knowledge that maybe it's an evaluation thing, but I, I know that Tuiaki has, has passed on some of these guys i'm talking like omarion fa moe at west high school he's going to go to oregon state is oregon state alabama of course not but that's a very solid mid three-star guy had multiple p5 offers BYU never really pursued him void tunufi like maybe he ends up playing offensive line at washington maybe byu doesn't get him anyways but they never really pursued him very hard at east high school uh, last year, like Tanoa Togiai, he, he went to Utah. Maybe he was going to go to Utah either way. I don't know, right? But I know that I had conversations with Tanoa Togiai, and he was always very complimentary of BYU and wanted to hear more from BYU. Samote Peppa out of Bingham, he ended up going to Utah. He grew up a BYU fan. And when I would reach out to Samote Peppa, he would say, yeah, I haven't heard from BYU. And, and so what's frustrating is I, I don't think that Tuiaki is just lazy. Like people want to say that. And I think that's 
I, I think that's too much of a reduction uh, of the issues here. I think he's not really lazy. Comes... He's not stupid. Like I've seen no, people also apply like, oh, he, he's high school coordinators could do a better job than him. Right. No, and it's ridiculous. Not. I actually think he's one of the smarter coaches that BYU has had in a really long time. I think that maybe that's the issue, honestly, is I think that he gets maybe the evaluations are a little bit wrong or just the evaluations aren't matching up with with the scheme. I don't know what it is, but there are guys that I that are being highly recruited by big time schools and BYU's passing for one reason or another. Victory Vaca is a really good example this year. He just decommitted from Texas A&M. He's LDS. BYU, like he'll tell you that BYU is one of his top schools right now, even though BYU really hasn't reached out to him a whole lot. But they're not actively recruiting him because of the fit, the potential fit. Is that a fit at BYU? I don't know, right? Like, I have no idea. Is that a fit within the scheme? I don't know. But if I am looking at the way that this team is getting just gouged in the run game, even if it's a fit outside of football and it's a fit at BYU, if you've got an LDS kid who says he wants to come to BYU, even if you don't think he is going to be a fit academically or, you know, whether it's the honor, I have no idea what it is. You got to take that gamble, right? Because man, like you need studs on the defensive line right away. And this kid is saying he wants to be there. He just decommitted from the SEC. Like, he's good. He's very, very good, especially considering it's a bunch of walk-ons that are going to be his competition for playing time if he were to come to BYU. It's Zach Daw. It's, you know, Earl Tuioti Mariner. It's Gabe Summers. And all due respect to those guys, they weren't being courted by SEC schools. Right. And so I just struggle. That's my, that's my biggest thing. And the more and more I think about everybody wants to, you know, a lot of fans want to fire Tuiaki, whatever. You're not going to fire your coordinator when you're in the midst of a 10 and one season. So everybody needs to just take that and throw it away. Cause it's not going to happen. And by every objective measure in the five year or tenure of right of Kalani Sataki, the defense has been the better of the two units up until this year. Right. Yep. Like it's, it was still, you look at FEI or you look at SP plus, like the defense has been much better than the offense until this season. Every year. It took and a the defense first is round still quarterback. Good, right. And so the defense is still good this year. It's just not great. And it's and frustrating. It, and, it's, times. and it's frustrating. And I, I said this in my article today that BYU's defense is just, they're not efficient, but they're frustratingly effective. Yes. Like it, they can't, you can't argue with it. At the end of the day, points are not being scored and they're putting the offense in situations to win like no you're not going to win games with this defense but they're doing enough that you aren't going to lose games either but at this point i just struggle because i I don't know it feels like fool's gold right like how much longer is byu going to be able to get away with this yeah i don't i mean we will have to look and maybe I don't know. Maybe to Elisa Tuyaki will happen across, happen upon this episode and ah. let's do it and tell us everything that we are wrong. And if, you know, because obviously we don't know everything, right? Like it's, we don't, we can't sit there and know, especially on defense where everything is reactionary. Like offense, you see a play, you can tell exactly what they're trying to do. You can't right. see that on defense, right? Like it's a lot harder to guess. And so you don't know what is being expected of the players. For sure. And so it's in, you know, so it, 
we're taking a shot in the dark here just based on we're saying it's good but it's frustrating and it feels like there's some things that could change to close the gap and be really good but it doesn't seem like those things are happening and maybe we're way off so if you do hear this let us know please let us know (laughs) if you are a member of defensive coaching staff please let us know tell us what's going on and explain things like we're not we don't think you're stupid we don't think that (laughs) you need to be fired we don't think you don't know what you're doing right like it's so it is we don't know we also don't know what we don't know and even from an eval like a talent or recruiting evaluation standpoint it's you know the same argument can be said um look i never would have looked at kairos tonga i i remember kairos when he was playing at granger high school i never thought that he would turn into a stud defensive tackle like elisa toyaki did from day one uh saleti favaliaki is another one that the kalani and toyaki they offered him as soon as they got to Oregon state, they offered him as soon as they got to BYU. Like they were on this guy long before anybody else was. And he's turned out to be a really good player. Even like a guy like Gabe Summers, like Gabe Summers is effective. I never would have thought Gabe Summers is going to be good. Right. Like I never would have looked at that and thought, yep, that's a, that's a dude who can play. So their evaluations are right. What I'm just struggling with is, is the comparison, right? And when I look at, okay, the evaluations are right. They're, they're getting it right. They're clearly, they clearly know what they're looking for, but so does all these other schools, you know, so does Utah. So, so when they look, when Utah looks at Samote Peppa and says, that's a must have defensive tackle and they go all in on him. Well, why is BYU not? And that that's the, the reconciliation that I'm just struggling with. And again, you're right, Garrett. I, we're, we're just dudes on a couch, you know, like at the end of the day, that's all we are. I don't claim to be smart. I, I'm in fact, I'm very, very not smart. And I know that these guys are smart and, and Tuiaki does not get the credit that he deserves. Like he, he, he would be a lot of football coaches are football coaches. And if they were not football coaches, who knows what they are. Tuiaki's a really intellectual dude. Like the guy is really, really smart. And if he was not a successful football coach, he could be successful in a lot of fields. Like he is one of the more intelligent men that, that I've ever spoken with. And uh, I, he deserves credit for that. Like he's very, very intelligent. So I, that's, that's where I'm at is I just, I'm struggling because I know that there's a lot of other really good football guys who are doing things differently. I'm not advocating that I know what is right or what is wrong even I'm saying there's a lot of other schools who are doing things differently. What is, what, what am I missing? Why is BYU not? Uh, I want to change gears a little bit on you, Garrett. Uh, so I tweeted out a clip that we just read from my article about uh, San Diego state, like how we don't know what it feels like, but San Diego state will tell us what it feels like to be the team that loses to the quote unquote, most overrated team in football. And Raider Damuni liked it. So like Raider and I, we, we talked throughout the recruiting process, but I also like that he is petty, you know, that like most recruits, when they see things like about the game, they just keep scrolling, but either he's petty. He thought it was funny. I don't know what it was, but it makes me feel like Raiders got a little bit of an edge to him, a little bit of a petty edge like us. And I like that. Who knows what it means on the field, but I enjoy that. I I like knowing 
that they, the players, coaches, people within the program are also petty. You know, I, I do enjoy me some pettiness from time to time in the sports in the sports world of you know things and you know i don't we, we kind of got way off track from a typical post-game show because i mean it was pretty cut and dry right like we saw zach wilson do zach wilson things i think the game you know maybe the offense would have i mean lopini was still very effective he averaged like six and a half yards a carry against what sp plus has is the top five defense in the country right so it's like against a very good defense the offense put up very very good numbers this is what we expected out of the offense last week against coastal carolina and if we had gotten this performance from out of them we would have won that game that was the issue um and so we you know looking at this we have you know we've broken down how we feel about like the defensive line kind of felt like that was the struggle on the defense, right? It was getting, and we weren't collapsing and maybe it's, you know, maybe the defense is doing what they're playing to and it's the linebackers who are not filling in playing downhill and doing what they're asked to do on the defense. Maybe that's what it is, whatever. But they, so we've talked about the defense and, but I mean, the offense, we knew exactly what we were getting and that's what we saw. We saw Isaac Reck makes great play. Neil Powell had a great game, great game tonight with him. And uh, he's really come on strong in the back half of the season. I wasn't very, I guess, not critical of him in the first season, but he was kind of like the first month or so of the season, Neil Powell was just pretty meh. Like he was fine, but it was kind of like, okay, like if Cody Epps kind of started getting some more reps just so I could see what he could do, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But Neil Powell has very much solidified himself as a great number three receiver in the last, like if you are looking at an offense and you look at what Neil Powell has done for the last month and you're like, oh, that's my third best receiver, then Mm -hmm. as a coach, you are very, very happy. And like, so he had a great game tonight as well. Katoa was a little slowed up. You could tell still by his ankle, but it was a good job bouncing back against a tough defensive front by the offensive line. And they controlled that line of scrimmage the entire game. And we had to punt a couple times and a few drives to up, but really we chewed clock and marched the ball down the field and did what we wanted to do. And we saw a couple of great Zach Wilson throws. It was really the offense was everything we wanted it to be. It was just that defense was frustratingly effective, like you said. I think that's the perfect way of describing it. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, okay, we we have breaking news. Break like, can we do the? Uh, no, we we can't. We don't have a producer or like an EP that's you know putting in sound drops. But the breaking news. It's getting late. Uh, the author of the San Diego State article, it's a student newspaper, so I'm not going to put this out on Twitter and rag the guy. Like, he's just a fanboy. You know, he's 19 years old, writing for the student paper, so I'm not going to give him too much crap. But he, he's doubling down after the game. Good game, BYU. You beat us fair and square. Y'all are still overrated, though. Talk to me when you beat a team that isn't Alabama's week one warm-up game. Didn't uh, Jeff, I might have to edit this out because talking about anything this kid tweets breaks the 100-follower rule. Ooh. Well. He's got 30, <sighs> he's got 30 followers, and he has been on the Twitter.com since 2015. Ouch. This is just one of those self burns, you know, like those are rare. That's what Jake Peralta taught us self burn. Those are rare, but talk to me when you beat a team that isn't Alabama's week one warm up game. So is that you? I'm just, I'm very confused. 
it's very confusing. I mean, he, I, if he says, you know, and earlier today he said, I know I've been giving BYU a lot of flack for being overrated. I just really don't believe they're the 18th best team in college football. Who are, tell me who are the 17 better teams, or if you think they're lower and you don't even think they're believing, believe in the top 25, who are the 25 teams that are better? Pray tell. That is, if you're talking about, <laughs> you're talking, if you are talking about San Diego State, like dude, San Diego State is 500 with wins over UNLV, Utah State, Colorado State, and I don't remember who their last, their fourth win was against. Um, Colorado State and Hawaii, dude. Y'all, you want to talk about an FCS schedule? Like your four wins are no different, and you were scraping out of all of those, except for you know you were pulling some of those out of a hat. The your four wins were nothing to write home about, dude. <laughs> like it's, you, I think you see Davis. Had you played them for your week one warm up game, they would have given put up more of a fight than Utah State. I don't, I don't get it. I really, truly don't get it. But. You know, whatever. San Diego State, maybe it's the same guy who's running the show, SDSU account. Jake Welch said it really, really well in our uh, predictions piece this week that San Diego State, like, it's tough, right? It has to be tough to be a San Diego State fan. They're the one Southern California school that absolutely nobody takes seriously. Uh, like, they're, they're nobody, right? And they play in a cement toilet bowl of a stadium at Qualcomm or whatever it's called now. I don't even know what it's called anymore. They play in a cement toilet bowl of a stadium, despite living in and being the premier school in San Diego and like right in the heart of really good high school football. They have not been able to convert that into like long-term success at all on the recruiting trail. They have 37 loyal fans like they should be this perennial powerhouse, but they're not. And like Jake said, they're like that random niece or nephew that you forgot existed until they crawl under the table and punch you in the nuts over Thanksgiving dinner. That's really who San Diego state is. So, you know, I, I feel for their fans, you know, San Diego state is the weirdest school to me because it's like how, I I don't know. It shouldn't be that hard to recruit kids to want to go spend four years and go to college for free in San Diego. No, like there's right, no like reason that San Diego state should not be the premier school in the mountain West conference. Yeah. And it's like same, similar with Pepperdine, right? Like you're in Malibu looking over the beach and you see the ocean from everywhere on campus. That's awesome. Right. Like it's, you know, how is, you know, I guess you see your USD as well. Right. And it's so San Diego state has always been the biggest question mark, right? Cause they're a state school. They don't have, you know, it's a fine school in the, I guess, if you're in the San Diego area, right? Like it's, you get a degree from San Diego State and you live in Southern California. It's like living in Utah and having a degree from UVU, right? Like nobody thinks you went to Harvard, but no one's like, oh, that person's an idiot. I'm not going to hire him. Like it's, you went to college, you got a piece of paper, whatever, fine. So it's like, it's fine in terms of school. It's, you know, it, it sucks. I think they'll, they will probably get much better once they do get their new stadium on camp, like get their new nicer stadium that fits kind of their program better. But it's always just bothering me like, why are they not 
better at every sport. You know, they've been good at basketball for the last 15 years, but it's and they, they have talent in baseball, I guess, but they never go to the college world series, which I don't understand. Right. They should like be Cal state Fullerton can get there. UC Irvine can get there. Why can't San Diego state right. Irvine and Fullerton suck. Like it's, there's nothing in, you know, about those cities. That's like, Oh yeah, let's definitely, I want to go there, but I don't want to go to San Diego. Right. So it's, it doesn't make sense to me. And I know where it's at in San Diego, it's like a big city, whatever, but it's, it should be an easier place to recruit to. And it has just never made sense to me why they can't put it together. And I mean, listen, people are going to Boise, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. I love Boise. I love Idaho. Like it's open. It's quiet. It's not Laramie. So I love Idaho. But how are you not recruiting at at least an equal level to Boise, Idaho? Yeah, I really think that, I mean, I really think that it might be time for Brian Harson. This is getting way off track, and this might be better for our Wednesday show, but I think I think Brian Harson might be having his Chris Peterson moment right now between what we talked about earlier in the week with where it's like, Boise State wants out of the Mountain West because he realizes that the Mountain West is never going to get there and he wants to do bigger and better things. And I think if he gets any amount of pushback and he realizes it's not going to happen on the timeline I want it to at Boise State, I'm going to go try to find something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that point may be coming for him. Um, I mean, he was at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So he has. He has been at Boise State for one season less than Chris Peterson was. That's oh, yeah. how long. That's how long Brian Harson has been there. So it's as I was and counting. he played there, so that kind of counts. Right. Well, he played there. He was the OC there. He went to Arkansas State as the head coach, and then came back to Boise. And because um, Arkansas State had their incredible run of head coaches picked off by Hugh other jobs, Gus Malzahn, um, Brian Harson. I mean, and now uh, Blake Anderson. You know they've had a great run there uh, but they you know he you know really what is gonna happen i think it could be time for harson to say maybe i will go down to tucson that's not so bad or and get that money or maybe i'm gonna look at you know whatever other jobs open up it looks like uh, he won't go to lubbock don't go to lubbock brian harson you're worth can it. we can we take a minute and pat ourselves on the back though? Remember how many people were trying to tell us there's not going to be firings. There's not going to be openings. This pandemic is going to totally prevent college football from hiring. No, it's not. No, it uh, well, freaking is not. Maybe for other sports, but people understand football and to some extent men's basketball coaching staff, that money is irrelevant from the entire rest of the revenue from your athletic department. Like that money comes in because big booster said our football team sucks we want a new coach and then the dave hickey the athletic director at university of arizona says well we owe kevin Sumlin seven and a half million dollars and then Artie moreno the owner of the los angeles angels says well okay here's i'm a billionaire here's seven and a half million dollars i want a new coach and they say okay cool you paid for it it's done is he he an arizona booster oh yeah he's like him it's the big U of A boosters are Artie Moreno, the family that started Circle K, so are also billionaires. And that I know this. My yeah. well, so my brother went to the University of U of A before his mission, and then transferred oh. to BYU after he got home. And my father-in-law and sister-in-law 
went to okay. UVA as well. And like, so okay. did my wife's cousins. Like my, other than my wife has one sister, that's the student at ASU right now, but everybody else in my, um, her dad's side of the family all went to U of A. Okay. Um, well, that makes more sense. So the, um, but they, yeah. So it's, then there's one other guy, it's like Circle K, Artie Moreno. And then there's like one other big booster that's like got a lot of money and throws it around down there. So it's like, and that's the same thing too, right? Like it's, yeah, the BYU, you know, they're doing the all-in campaign and Tom Homo's out there saying we're $20 million short. But if we were having a bad year and they wanted fire to fire Kalani Stage and the said, oh, well, this is what the buyout is. If Ryan Smith, the CEO of Qualtrics says, we want Stage out, then Tom Homo says, well, it costs this much. And they says, well, we want a new coach with a bigger salary pool. Then they say, okay, how much are you willing to give? That's how it works at every school, the country, right? Like it's your salary pool for football coaches does not come from, oh, we sold this many tickets and this many, this thing, whatever. It's you have your biggest boosters who are complaining for a new coach and say, okay, how big of a check are you willing to write to make this happen? Because that's how this is happening, right? Like, and it's, if you want to spend an irrational amount of money on this, then you need to put, you need to put up the check and pay for this because we're not going to bleed everything else dry. And that's how you end up with things like Jimbo Fisher getting a 10-year, $75 million guaranteed contract at Texas A&M, right? Like that wasn't coming from football ticket sales. That was some oil money that said, we want Jimbo Fisher, get him from Florida State. Tell us how much it's going to cost. So strange. So strange. And it, it, it is strange to me that people really thought that football fans were not going to want new coaches. <laughs> it just... It, it was weird to me at the very beginning. It's weird to me now. That's why I've been on this extend Kalani train for a very, very long time. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, look, I think I'm well, I'm confident based on things I've heard this week. We'll slip this into the tail end of the show. I think there is movement on that front. Well, my hell, there should be. Let me talk to you about this. And I want to ask, because <laughs> it's late, my first thought, and I know the answer is no, and I know that everyone's going to freak out, but my first thought is, is there a racial component to this? How, after one good season, did Mark Pope manage to get an extension through 2027? And Kalani only got an extension through 2023. I think, I mean, there's different things. I think part of it is the, obviously part of it, I think is dependent on the availability, the pool of available coaches for football is bigger than basketball. Um, the, is it though? Like it's Jay Hill. Like that's the pool. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the pool is size. Obviously the size of your staff is bigger. It costs more money to put together a football thing. The, uh, I mean, Mark Pope came in and took a very bad roster and had a very great year. And it's taken Kalani some time to get things going. Um, so I think, I mean, too, and obviously depending on what the buyout, I mean, some of it could be on the back end of like, maybe Mark Pope has basically no buyout and he was like willing sure. to just like strap in. It was like, I don't care if you fire me, fire me. You don't have to pay me any extra money. If you think I'm so I suck, then let me go. Right. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of different factors that are part of it, but I think, um, I think that things are in the works and we, I don't know if it'll be till 2027. Um, just because too, usually you have, I mean, football is a lot more complicated because you have so many assistant coach, you have 10 assistant coaches that you are also 
needing to strap in and figure out how much they want and how you're going to divvy up that pool, how long of contracts they want and what their buyouts are going to be. There's a lot more to negotiate because you potentially, like if you're good, you're going to have like, you know, like hope BYU, like if Jeff Grimes leaves for a bigger chop this off season, right? Like then there's going to be some money that needs, like there's going to be things that need to be taken care of. And so there's a lot more to negotiate with football. Um, and then just also, you know, as well that the, I think it's maybe the expectations were higher or, you know, or the expectations were higher with football and they want to keep it going or their issues that they're saw. I mean, there's a million different reasons that they, you may have a shorter deal or say like, you know, let's do it in four year chunks, whereas basketball, you know, decided to commit a little longer. Maybe, maybe something happened between Kalani being, I mean, last year and then now with the pandemic or whatever, with, you know, some things have changed in terms of in the, within the athletic department. And if money was secured specifically for basketball, that could also be part of it. Or money was speci- so, was specifically given because Mark Pope is in Ryan Smith's ward. That money was specifically given earmarked for basketball and specific basketball boosters said, we want to lock up Mark Pope. That could, And people were not doing that for Kalani. Maybe. I don't Like there's a so, lot of different things. So you're saying it probably isn't race. I am saying that it is not race and it is definitely not because he is a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, Oh, good. So I, we're already one step ahead of Utah state. Oh, two steps. Cause we're, you know, oh, it's, yeah, not, it's not, it's race not race and religion. We're not race, not religion. We are two steps ahead of Utah state. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Aggies. I had some angry Aggies in my mentions on the Twitter today saying, well, you don't know all the facts. Uh, <laughs> I think we know enough of the facts that three quarters of your team felt offended and all of them unanimously voted not to play because they were like out of solidarity for their coach. So we know enough facts that maybe they weren't, you know, maybe this, whatever her name is, Nicole Cockett, I think maybe she's not overtly racist or a bigot, but she clearly said something with racial overtones and some bigotry that was received by that entire team. She might be a fine person that just made a terrible mistake, but whoop, what a doozy of a mistake to make. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that that recall apparently was not recorded because if it had been recorded, she could have just been like, Nope, this is what I said. And I mean, it's, it's weird I've to been me. To, I've been to Logan the, enough that if you start AD. to record the calls, the bandwidth really starts to get shaky. Yeah. Like they don't have utopia up there, you know, right. like they're not, they're not getting quick internet. I've been there. Right. So, I mean, between that and I mean, it's weird cause the AD was on the call. So it's like, why did he not shut that down? Well, yeah, he never like came like Hartwell. What is his name? John Hartwell. Is that his name? He, something Hartwell. He didn't like come to the defense and be like, Hey, no, uh, she did not say this. Like the only thing out of Utah state is that, you know, half-assed statement that came out, you know, 30, 45 minutes after the story broke, nobody said a word. You haven't seen any players that have been like, Oh, this is all being misconstrued. Like nothing, absolutely nothing. So Utah state sucks. I could argue or ramble on about this. And I think we need to go to bed, but Garrett, you can see it. I know that we don't record our shows for video, gear the merch is out look at the y and on shirt it looks good i'm actually pleasantly surprised with how good it looks it does look good and you are not a designer but you did wonderful on that 
did. This one, this one was good. We've got some great uh, stuff out there. It all looks good. I've been really impressed so far with the hats. I got a beanie and I got a hat with our Give Em Hell Brigham logo on it. Those look great. We're selling this stuff for as cheap as we can possibly sell it. Um, so check it out, guys. It actually looks good. The hats. I was a little bit nervous because the hats with our supplier, we'd never bought these hats. I'm kind of a hat snob. I don't particularly love snapbacks, although I am kind of starting to come around. But I was nervous that this was just going to be a cheap snapback hat. Um, I was actually really impressed. It is one of the more comfortable hats that I have. I think it looks really nice. Uh, so if you're a hat person, our hats are actually really, really good. So I think for like 15 bucks, 20 bucks, I can't remember. The, it, what it was exactly but it's an embroidered logo looks fine um the hat is fine quality check it out give them hellbrigham.com and, and have a look around uh the merch is good we've got people buying our why and on our our tinfoil hat why shirt i do want to throw the caveat out there that that shirt is intentionally a little bit fuzzy and a little bit photoshoppy because it was a tinfoil hat that we made on the fly about this underground group. It's not supposed to be like some formal professional looking thing. I think it looks good. I also got those shirts in the mail today. They look good, but it is the, the, the things, if you're expecting this to like come and look like some fancy, well-to-do, you know, thousand dollar design type shirt, this isn't that, but it looks good. I actually like it. It fits what it's supposed to fit you know and on that note we will say go buy our shirts and we will talk to you all on wednesday we did request some voicemails we got a couple of them but it is computer is not functioning at the moment for us to both listen to them i think we got to work on getting a we need to set up a dedicated line specifically that we can both get access to so that way we can both listen to them independently rather than me holding the microphone up to the speaker so you can hear uh, so if you did leave us a voicemail we'll try to get it with the intro to our show on wednesday and on that jeff give them out uh signing day on wednesday john henry daly is announced or announcing his decision on monday so that means that tomorrow Obviously, when you're taking the sacrament in your homes and when you are enjoying your Sunday proceedings, think of what you're supposed to be thinking of. But immediately after you think of what you're supposed to think of, start saying your John Henry Daly prayers. And Jackson Dart as well. Well, that's are, one uh, of those is more like I know they say faith in a mustard seed can move a mountain, but uh, you're going to need like. You're going to need a bottle of mustard seeds, I'm afraid. But yes, by all means, if somebody can do it, it's us. It's the, the collective give them hell, Brigham listenership. We can do it. And as we go into the Sabbath, give them heaven. Have a good night, Jeff. Have a good night. <laughs>